Hey, folks, you're listening to How to Win a Campaign, where you'll get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to win campaigns, but also how to build movements. I'm Joe Fold. And I'm Martin Diego Garcia. And you can find us at The Campaign Workshop on Instagram and now on Threads. Welcome and thanks for listening to this episode of How to Win a Campaign, Season 4. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the other episodes on movement building. Well, today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is a huge passion of mine and one of our dear friends at the Campaign Workshop. We will be talking with Elliot Imze of the LGBTQ Plus Victory Institute, who has been a longstanding partner with us. And we have loved to be able to train alongside of Elliot and his team, training LGBTQ Plus candidates. I, at least for over 10 years, Joe... I've stopped counting, but over, <laughs> I, I will just say it's been a, a little longer than you, Martine, but not that much longer. Yeah, which I think is only crucial to say is like how far the, not only the organization has come, but the sort of LGBTQ plus movement has come. And I think very much so because of the consistent and longstanding training the Victory Institute has been running. So we will be jumping into movement building through training. We've been lucky that before us, Dave Fleischer, who is a fantastic trainer, has been on the show before, is going to be on again this season, was the trainer before us at uh, Victory. And it is an incredible history. And we do love training. And so one of the things that we're really going to dig into is how training can inspire new people to get involved, educate political candidates, and work to build stronger movements. Whether you're working in the electoral space, in the advocacy space, if you're an organizer, a potential candidate, a campaign manager, attending a training is really key. I've said this before when we've talked about training and leadership development. There are very few academic programs out there that really prepare you for doing this type of work. When we're in school, they always teach us about what government does, what these things do, but not how to get there or how to do them properly. And so utilizing the trainings that are out there, whether it's the LGBTQ plus Victory Institute training, trainings that Joe and I have done for a number of organizations, or any of the other ones that a number of nonprofits offer, it can really bring people together and really help grow a movement by not only giving them skills, but educating them on an issue. But Joe, can you talk a little bit more about ways that trainings can empower movements? Well, the first is that by having a training, you're building a sense of community and support. And that to me is super powerful. I think that what we have found, regardless of whether it's issue-based in the gun violence space, whether it's in the LGBTQ plus community or for labor unions or for environmental groups, what we have found is getting people together, whether in person or virtually, lets people know, hey – we all together collectively care about this thing. There is a movement here. There are people who support it. You're not alone. And just by doing that, it makes people feel power and feel the comfort that they're not alone and they can do this together. And that, to me, is the incredible part, that community part of building. I remember, again, like 25 years ago when I did the first training for Victory, that it was 
in Atlanta on a Thursday. And frankly, there are still people from that training that I keep in touch with. And we just had the LGBTQ plus leaders training that Victory does. They do a big summit every year. And when we go to that, there's always someone that comes up to me that says, I went through the training in 2002, went through the training in 2006. I did a call with someone who went through the training in 2008. And that power and that community and people who keep in touch with each other and engage is incredibly impressive, but also affirming for people to say, hey, I can reach out to someone, even if they're not in my town, they can help me, they can write a check, they can give me support, they can engage with me. And that builds a larger and stronger local coalition with people that you meet, but also nationally creates that support. Then you can also teach through training issues around specific topics or tactics that allow people to think about for the long term, how can they become a better community organizer? How can they become a better fundraiser? And you can really see how you can break down barriers of folks who were kept from power and really building representation over time for movements by getting people together and continuing to chip away through training and eliminating barriers to electoral and advocacy politics that have been around for a while. But I mean, Martine, there's more I can talk about on this. I think the first one you mentioned is really important, right? Because I think what training does, particularly for organizations and movements, right, is it builds it as a two-way street. It's not the movement asking, hey, can you give? Hey, can you do this? Like, take, take, take. It is their opportunity to now give back and invest back into those folks that, that have been their supporters all along. And I think you're right that it allows folks to build community with like-minded folks, whether that's identity-based, whether that's community-based, whether that's issue-based, whatever it might be, it allows those folks to come together because they might be the only person of that identity or whatever in their community, depending on where they live. And it allows them to feel a sense of ownership, investment, connection to the work that you all are doing that allows them to garner skills, build their own leadership. Hopefully it helps allow them to feel more empowered and safer, particularly when some of the issues that we're dealing with, LGBTQ plus gun violence, are really ramped up by hate and discrimination. I think another piece to be thinking about is a successful training will lead to higher success, whether that's on election day, whether that's at your lobby day, whether that's in your community organizing and the event that you're building up to. Having successful training of any sort really helps to prepare your volunteers, your supporters, your organization, and really sets you up for success to continue to move that needle and build a movement. It is really working to achieve whether it's equitable representation, right, whether it's passage or blockage of a particular bill, whether it's media attention on an issue that you're working on, it really helps elevate the issues, the campaigns, the efforts that you're doing to national attention to hopefully get some continued movement and continued coverage. We're both in agreement that trainings lead to meaningful successes and movement growth, that it can be virtual or in-person. But how can people find the training, Martine, that's right for them? Google's going to be your friend here or whichever search engine you use. We actually have a list of progressive trainings on our website at thecampaignworkshop.com. If you go to our website, we are continuously refreshing that list of new groups and organizations. But 
to my joy, there continue to be new ones every year, every cycle that we engage in politics and advocacy. We run a two-day advocacy program here at the Campaign Workshop. We are going to be launching an independent expenditure training potentially. So in thinking about what is out there, search to see what's going to be the best fit for you. But know that if you want to build one yourself, there are ways and considerations you should make as an organization, as a movement, in terms of thinking about, does one already exist? Am I duplicating work or am I complementing work? So first and foremost, you want to check to make sure that you're not utilizing your precious resources on something that you may be able to partner with another organization who's already doing. Have a really good understanding of who is the audience for this training. Is it campaign managers? Is it candidates? Is it organizers? Is it specific community members? Is it regional? What does that look like for you so that you have a better sense of who's going to be in the room? And what do you want those participants to walk away with? Is it mainly organizing skills? Is it specifically working with the media and thinking about communication? Is it particularly candidates or legislators? What is the thing that you want them to walk away with? And then you're going to be thinking about the logistical things. How long is this going to be in person or virtual? How are you going to structure the day? Are you going to have speakers and trainers and build a team, et cetera? And probably the most important deciding factor is what's your budget? Is this going to be an hour <laughs> session that you can do with folks versus are you going to do a week-long program? All of these considerations are going to be really important as to whether you go and find a training to attend yourself or your organization or movement really invests in thinking about how are you training your supporters for the long haul. We really believe in training as movement building and doing this for the long term. We think the idea of just doing a single training is something you really should be thinking about and thinking about how is this a program and how are you engaging over the long term in training to build your audience. And the Victory Institute has been dedicated to training and building LGBTQ leaders for over two decades, and we've been lucky to be a part of this program. That's why I'm really excited that today's guest, Elliot Imze, who is a dear friend of ours, who oversees the campaign and leadership training at the LGBTQ plus Victory Institute is going to be our guest today. So stay tuned as we dig in deeper into this topic after the break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Today's guest is Elliot Imsey. Elliot is the executive director at the LGBTQ plus Victory Institute, an organization working to increase the number of LGBTQ plus leaders in all levels of government and ensure their success. In their trainings with current and future LGBTQ plus candidates, they provide practical skills, campaign tips, and planning strategies for running for office. Elliot was formerly the director of policy and communications at the DC Office of Human Rights and worked for the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. In his current role, he oversees the Victory Institute's US and global programmings, including their campaign and leadership trainings. Elliot, it is so lovely to have you on. I know we have had Victory on before as an organization. I've gotten to work with you in your capacity here at Victory. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Of course, Martine, happy to be here. We appreciate you uh, taking the time. Of course, of course. So talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with the Victory Institute and a little bit about the mission that they're trying to accomplish. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in Wisconsin and like any gay kid at that time went through the process of coming to terms with uh, who I was. But my parents were very political and that extended to me as well. We didn't have conversations about politics around the dinner table, which uh, is perhaps a healthy thing for families. But uh, very different from the life I live now. 
I was a journalism major in undergrad and at uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison when Bush started really pushing for the federal marriage amendment during his uh, re-election campaign, really started targeting and attacking the LGBTQ community to rally his base during that re-election in 2003 and four. Uh, and that experience of your community being degraded and really pushed me to become an activist and to really start caring about politics in a new way. But what came out of that for me was an understanding that both media and politics together have an enormous influence on public opinion. And that, of course, uh, influences policy in very real ways and ways that really affect all sorts of communities across the United States. So I got really involved on the communication side at first, wanting to develop better messages to move people towards supporting equality. And that's when I did my work at GLAAD. And from there, really wanted to jump into public policy and politics because more and more I felt uh, it was incredibly important to have voices in the halls of power for our community. So jumped into D.C. government, and there is when I really first recognized how important to have people behind the scenes that represent your community, as well as the more forward-facing uh, people that represent your community in government. So while I was at the D.C. Office of Human Rights, we uh, launched the first-of-its-kind campaign by a government that was specifically focused on the rights of trans people. We had posters and bus stops all across uh, Washington, D.C., showing people trans folks, uh, trans faces, and, and talking about the need for equality for those communities. And we did all sorts of other campaigns that was completely driven by LGBTQ people working in government and campaigns that would have not have happened if it wasn't for LGBTQ people being in these spaces. So that is what got me excited about representation. And when an opportunity to work at LGBTQ Victory Institute popped up, I grabbed it. I wanted to work on the programs and, and with people who are trying to put more LGBTQ plus folks into office. And that is what Victory Institute is all about, is we know that representation matters and that we want to ensure LGBTQ plus people are in government at every level. So that is our candidate campaign trainings, which I know we're going to talk more in detail about today, but also making sure that political appointees in government administrations, that they're inclusive LGBTQ people, also ensuring that staffers on Capitol Hill include LGBTQ people. So really embedding LGBTQ people wherever we can in government so that they can make policy change for our community. Absolutely. We need to be in all of the rooms where it happens so that we make sure that our voice is heard. Victory is a is an organization that is near and dear to my heart as having been on staff, having been able to train with the organization for a number of years now. Listeners also know that Joe, my co-host, also has been a lead trainer since the late 90s with the organization. Can you talk to us about the history of the training programs that have happened at Victory since its inception? Yeah. So Victory Institute began its training program more than 30 years ago. And that is probably no shock to uh, your listeners that there were very few LGBTQ elected officials at that time. Senator Tammy Baldwin, who is very engaged with Victory Institute since its founding, actually talks about our annual conference at that time being more of a mini support group 
than it was an actual conference for LGBT elected officials. It was LGBT elected officials basically complaining about how hard it was to be an LGBT elected official in that environment. You know, at that time, there was never a non-incumbent LGBTQ person elected to Congress. Any victory for an LGBTQ candidate at any level of government would not only make national news, but also create a strong backlash. Uh, and the majority of Americans still opposed our equality. So that meant that no political party supported our issues. Uh, few politicians spoke openly in support of our community. So it really was a different time. And because we knew that the political parties and our leaders would not fight for us, we realized that we need to be in the rooms leading the fight ourselves, uh, that we were the only people that we could trust. So that is what really launched Victory Fund and Victory Institute. It's what launched our candidate campaign training, realizing that uh, we need more LGBTQ people to run, but also that there's unique challenges that come with running as an out LGBTQ person. So our candidate campaign training, that campaign workshop has worked with us on since the 90s, as you mentioned, Martin, is a four-day boot camp. It is intense, as you know. Uh, it's a unique training that really provides the tools, the basics, the nuts and bolts, if you will, on how to run for office, but also addresses the unique challenges and opportunities of running as an out LGBTQ person. For more than two decades, Campaign Workshop has partnered with us and made sure we are executing at the best level. And now we have thousands of alumni trained. So... Governor Jared Polis is a, one of our former, one of our trainees. Virginia Delegate Danica Rome, who became the first out trans person ever elected to a state legislature. Robert Garcia, who is a former mayor of Long Beach and is now a member of the U.S. Congress. These are the quality uh, folks that we trained early and are now making enormous change for our community. We've had Danica on as a guest for the podcast. So our listeners know her well. I was super excited about Mayor Garcia and now Congressman Garcia, who is who is my representative here in Long Beach. So always fun to get those personal connects to these folks. And Martine, you've been in uh, uh, led so many of these trainings. Is there any candidates that really stuck out for you when you were teaching the candidate campaign training? I mean, there are so many and it's just so amazing to see when they move. I mean, Robert being one of them specifically, seeing them move from city council to mayor and now to Congress and seeing that trajectory for a number of different candidates that have come through, whether they're the one and only in their state legislature, and we have a couple of those, or they were the first to break through a particular rainbow ceiling. It has been always amazing. And in particularly when news happens, whether it's really amazing policy or really terrible policy sort of against for or against our community, Seeing some of the electeds who are like at the front or like at the table or are pushing for the bill or signing it into legislation. We have governors across the country that are actually signing the legislation. It's always like surreal to me to be like, wow, I, I played a very small but hopefully important part in, in that piece happening. A very um, important piece. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So from your vantage point of an organization that has been running right these, these training programs for such a long time and so consistently, how can training programs really transform a candidate's approach to running for office? There are so many elements to building a strong campaign. And for a first-time candidate, it is uh, really hard 
to wrap your head around what needs to be done to run a strong campaign and, you know, what happens when uh, you're throwing curveballs while on the campaign trail. We've seen that these trainings do an amazing job of presenting a roadmap for building a strong campaign and helping ensure that people can walk away with the tools that they need to be a strong candidate. So knowing what's important, things like knocking on doors, uh, fundraising, but also knowing what's not important, like buying yard signs and uh, papering your community with uh, your name. As you, Martine, always tell people, don't overinvest in yard signs. They don't win votes. But these are the types of things you're only going to hear and learn about in a campaign training. And it helps build confidence. So if you are a candidate who knows the plan, you're executing on it, you understand when to adjust, you're in a better place to make the right decisions and ultimately succeed. So obviously, digging into topics that many candidates fear, like fundraising, uh, is really important. But I think people also walk away from our trainings with a sense of community, a sense of support, a, a network that I think really helps them be more successful when they're, they're on the trail. If any of our listeners are thinking about attending a training, whether it's for advocacy, campaign work, right, candidate work, whatever it may be, what are the things that a participant can do to get the most out of the training that they are participating in? Do it early is my best advice. You know, Martine, we've been in the room so many times during these trainings where people are maybe four months away from their primary day and they're learning how to build a strong campaign plan. And I'm like, damn, I uh, wish I would have known that earlier because I would have done things differently, whether that's spending money more efficiently on campaign staff or where to invest or how to approach a community with various messages. Making sure that you're attending our trainings or any training early, a year, even more before you're running your campaign so that you can build a strong campaign plan from uh, the moment you start. You hit on this a little bit, but to put a finer point on it, what, what's unique to the trainings that the Victory Institute puts on for folks and for the folks who are attending those particular trainings? Yeah. So our trainings are built specifically for LGBTQ plus people. So because of that, you know, I think there's three very specific things that you get out of our trainings that are unique. One is just the fact that there's LGBTQ specific curriculum. For example, during the training, we talk about the likelihood and unfortunate reality that a lot of our candidates will face uh, attacks on the campaign trail because of their sexual orientation and gender identity. So we build that out make sure people are prepared for that reality, but then also giving them some tools to hopefully prepare themselves to prevent these attacks from happening or to make sure that when the attacks do happen, they follow very specific processes that make it less likely that they will make a mistake that uh, causes it to the attack to, to have more effect than is needed. So these LGBTQ-specific topics are incredibly important for our candidates. You know, the second, I think, is inspiration. Uh, during our trainings, uh, LGBTQ-plus elected officials come in to share their experiences, to allow our participants to ask questions about running as an out person, and also to hear about the impact that our elected officials have had once in office. So it's 
a great education, but it's usually incredibly inspiring for the people in the room to know it can be accomplished uh, with an elected office. And I think that plays a, a really important role in our trainings and for our participants. And the last is the network. You get a one-of-a-kind network by attending our trainings, not just with uh, LGBTQ plus Victory Institute staff and campaign workshop staff, all of whom end up uh, being more than happy to hearing from our training participants to provide support and advice along the way. That's a really important network that you get out of it. But also the participants themselves end up forming a network with each other. So when they're running, you know, they often reach out to each other for emotional support, sometimes financial support, uh, certainly policy and messaging support. And that's really important. And those relationships last well beyond the training. I know a number of state legislators that we've trained before they won elected office who met each other in our candidate campaign training and to this day share ideas on policies in their respective states to really try and uh, work together to, to move things forward. Because being a legislator can be a very lonely place. And having those outside relationships, people that understand what you're going through end up being really, really important. Absolutely. I could not echo that more, particularly when you are in places where the LGBT community is maybe not very big, right? So like you're already dealing with a smaller group of folks to then find ones that are like politically engaged, to then find ones who actually want to run for office, like that just starts getting smaller and smaller. And so to like be plugged in to like a national network of folks who share that across the country is just really phenomenal. So thinking sort of bigger picture now, how do you think having had consistent trainings for a couple of decades now and training support for the LGBTQ plus community, how has it really impacted the political landscape and the LGBTQ plus movement over the last couple of decades? I think that our training programs, but the work of others as well, but I think our candidate work specifically has not only changed the LGBT movement landscape, it's changed America's political landscape in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, right now we have 1,174 out LGBTQ elected officials serving across the country at every level of government. That is a 68% increase in just the last five years. So the numbers are exploding right now. I don't want to get too excited because the reality is we still only hold 0.2% of elected positions in the United States. You know, Gallup estimates we're 7.1% of the population. So we have a very long way to go before we achieve equitable representation. But that growth is real and it's important and it's significant. And I know that victory played a big part of that. Last year, over 1,000 LGBTQ plus candidates ran for office and Victory Institute, along with Campaign Workshop, trained a fifth of them, wow. which is a lot. You know, the fact That's that huge. a fifth of all LGBTQ people running last year sat down in a room with us for a four-day boot camp where they're getting up at eight in the morning and, and doing homework at night and going to bed at midnight is pretty impressive. And we know that when LGBTQ people have attended our candidate campaign training, they have a higher success rate on election day. They just do better. It's the reality. So now our trainees are on the, the front lines, as you talked about earlier. The people that uh, we help put in office are on the front lines. A lot of times right now, they are defending against anti-LGBTQ legislation. That's just the reality of the, the sort of poisonous political moment we're in. 
But there's also a lot of positive things happening. Our, our LGBTQ elected officials are pushing forward a lot of equality legislation and they're passing in, in certain states as we speak. So these people are on the front lines and, and they do a lot of amazing work. And, you know, I'm reminded it's, it's not just about policy and legislation. It's also about the human element. So former Missouri State Senator Jolie Justice always tells a story about shortly after she took office and was the first out LGBTQ person ever elected to the Missouri State Legislature in 2006. And you know Jolie, she's an incredible person. But she talked about how on her first day, instead of surrounding herself by with fellow Democrats as they chose their assigned seats for the year, she specifically chose to sit amongst a bunch of Republicans. And they became friends. They shared stories about their families. They started attending dinners together. And when a couple years later, Jolie led on a non-discrimination bill in the state Senate, pushing forward a LGBTQ non-discrimination bill, it ended up being a party line vote with all Republicans voting against the bill, except for those immediately sitting around Jolie Justice, those people that she had the human relationship and human connection with, were with her when it mattered. So that's a kind of impact that we're making with the folks we train, putting them into office. And the reality is our opponents know it's working too. Uh, they know that having LGBTQ voices in these legislatures in the halls of power is impactful and a real threat. And we're seeing that play out on the national stage right now. We have just 14 trans or non-binary state legislators serving anywhere in the U.S. And now two of them have been censured by their state legislatures just in the last two months. Montana State Representative Zoe Zephyr uh, was censured late April for standing up and fighting back against an anti-trans bill. And Maury Turner in Oklahoma, uh, they were also censured for standing with pro-trans protesters in the Capitol. So our opponents have moved towards silencing us as a new tactic because we've been very successful in putting them in office and they know how impactful it is. Uh, so a lot of work to do. And this is not unique to our community. We've seen this in Tennessee and elsewhere too. So I think it really is proving to show that we're changing America's politics, but it's a long game. Going from being completely ignored to now being actively censured, I think is actually a, like <laughs> a step up for us, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, you actually notice we're here now. Great. Cool, cool, cool. It's terrible. It is but terrible. But we've seen both Zoe and Maury leverage it to bring national attention to, the, to our issues. And it is not easy for them, but they are truly using it to make change. So I think you're right. It is a, a weird positive. <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed. And huge shout out to the both of them who are really holding the line for us and taking a good bit of this sort of directly on them, um, both who have gone through the training and are using those skill sets to the best of their abilities. With so many training resources out there for people who want to run for office, what are some pieces of advice you can give our listeners as they determine which training is right for them? So 
I'm assuming you'll agree with me, Martine, but, you know, Victory Institute's candidate campaign training is, of course, the best of the best. In actuality, I really do believe that we have one of the best training programs in the nation. But the most important thing is getting trained so you can run as effectively as possible, whichever training you take. And there's a lot of great trainings out there. We know that there's a lot of barriers for certain types of candidates, LGBTQ people, but also people of color and women. And when you are deciding which training to attend, know that there's a lot of identity-based trainings out there that can help prepare you with the nuts and bolts, but also in ensuring that you can speak to your identity and use it in the most effective way possible. So as you're deciding on trainings, you know, think about where you expect to face the most challenges on the campaign trail. Is it around your sexual orientation, your race, being a woman? So you can get that additional support and that might help you uh, choose which training to go to. Also going back to that network, you know, who do you want to have as a support network after this training and being mindful about that as you choose which one to go to. And that network is actually why a lot of candidates attend multiple trainings to make sure that they are able to be as effective as they can and, and have a lot of support afterwards. So, you know, Emerge uh, runs a great training for, for women. There's also position-based trainings. So school board school in Cincinnati trains folks to run for school board and a great organization that's doing amazing work. So a lot of places out there. And time is obviously an issue for many people as well. I, I don't think there's any replacement for an in-person training. I think that is absolutely the, the best thing to do if you can get there and afford to be there. But there are virtual trainings as well. I know the National Democratic Training Institute does virtual training that's uh, quite strong. So that is what I would consider as people decide where to go. We actually have a list of some some of those trainings that you mentioned actually on our website, and we'll make sure to put those in the show notes for folks as they are determining which one makes the most sense for them. Last question for you, which we ask all of our guests. Do you have any podcasts, books, TV shows, movies that you're really digging right now and you want to recommend to our listeners? Yes. I mean, as any news-obsessed politico, you know, my everyday listens are New York Times, The Daily, Post reports from The Washington Post, and Vox's uh, Today Explained. Those are certainly my go-to. But outside of that grouping, I think that uh, the Washington Post podcast Presidential is actually one of my favorites. It has a uh, you know, 45-minute or so episode devoted to every single president throughout our history and really digs into their story, the context of the time, what they accomplished in office and, and what the aftermath of their presidency was. They also do a great job of making the parallels to today. Uh, so I find it very relevant for our, the time, even though it's going way back. And I think about one episode on Zachary Taylor, who I admittedly knew basically nothing about, but he supported anti-slavery policies, including admitting California into the union as a free state. So there was lots of anger during his presidential race. And then on July 4th, 1850, he was attending an Independence Day festival and immediately afterwards got really, really sick and died five days later. So some people thought it was about spoiled milk. Some people thought it was rotten cherries. But of course, the conspiracy theories lit up and many people thought uh, he was poisoned by pro-slavery Southerners. So 
in, in which case he would have actually been our first assassinated president. It ended up being that the White House water supply is actually notoriously contaminated during this time because of sewage and that him and actually a couple other presidents may have died because of White House drinking water. But uh, that side note, uh, he was actually replaced by Millard Fillmore who was more sympathetic to Southern slaveholders, and he fired every single cabinet member that Taylor had appointed. And many people think his death actually accelerated our path to uh, civil war. So there was tons of distrust and animosity at that time, much like it is today. And it really spoke to me about how much who we have in office can truly change the course of the nation in important moments. So elections are important. Vice presidents are important. And I just think that the series does a really good job of uh, showing us the important lessons of our history and does a great job of bringing them to life. And I always find uh, the parallels uh, fascinating. Nice. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. Well, thank you. Thank you, Elliot, so, so much for joining us and for imparting your wisdom and brilliance on our listeners, who I'm sure took a lot away from it. If folks want to learn more about you or the uh, LGBTQ plus Victory Institute, how can they get in touch with you all and learn more? Yep. So you can go to victoryinstitute.org and on our website, you know, you can contact any of our staff members, including me, also learn about our programs. But if I can also do a quick plug for our Out for America map, which lists every known out LGBTQ elected official across the nation. So you can go to that map and see all 1174 LGBTQ plus elected officials. And that's at outforamerica.org. Absolutely. Be sure to check that out. It's a really helpful resource, particularly when you're going to the ballot. Thank us again, Elliot, for you and the work that the LGBTQ plus Victory Institute does. I know I have benefited from it in multiple ways that I'm sure many folks across the country are and will continue to. We will be right back. And we're back. It's always great to talk with Elliot. He has such an amazing insight into the power of training and movement building and how training can make a real impact. Martine, what were your takeaways from the conversation? Yeah, I think there were a couple. First and foremost, thinking about whether you're going to attend a training or you're looking at potentially building a training. Starting early is important. If you were going to be a candidate and running a campaign, a campaign manager, if you were an organizer who was looking at leading an effort, trying to attend a training as early as possible to really help set you up for success, to really define a roadmap on how you're going to get to accomplishing your goals, I think is really important. I think the other piece that Elliot mentioned is training can also be responsive and reflective to the moment. We are seeing an increase in LGBTQ plus attacks across the country, whether that's legislatively or in communities. We're able to then adapt our training to include those pieces in the program to set up these candidates, these campaign managers, these supporters within the movement for success. So in addition to being a place where they can learn foundational skills, right? It's also a place for them to build community, feel heard, feel validated, understand what's going on and understand how to respond to a moment. The last piece I think that was really interesting that Elliot touched on was training around identity or training around community. And 
I think we mentioned this before, but like the ability to speak to it in a way that only within community you can talk about it with folks who get it. I can walk into a Latino space. I can walk into an LGBTQ plus space. I can walk into a space of Californians. And automatically, we're going to get each other at a level that maybe other folks who don't identify in those groups would. It allows for a really effective way to build community and dig deeper into issues to ensure that there's representation in these spaces, but also that there's connection built around these issue-based advocacy work. So, Ali, it's great. And I think that the consistency that the Victory Institute has been doing with these trainings is really shown and proven by the number of electives that we have and the amount of work that's being done across the country. Coming out of that victory training, we have had people who have taken it and gone on to many different paths, whether it's being an appointed elected official, whether it's going and running a nonprofit or just becoming a donor. We've seen people play lots of different roles and really take what they've learned at the training and do lots of different things with it. We think training facilitates storytelling, which brings folks into the movement. It brings people into your coalition and inspires others working within that movement, which has been incredible. And we've been able to see that growth through victory. But frankly, in the vast amount of training that we've done, we've seen this increased connection, whether that's been virtual, where we had to do that virtually during the pandemic or in person, which I think in person makes even stronger connections, but may not be as accessible. But we've seen a lot of really great connection through no matter how folks are doing training and really builds that long-term growth. And again, training's not just for politics. It can be really for advocacy that we've seen at work. And it's just getting folks comfortable with the skills they need to engage can be for advocacy, can be for politics, can be for membership, all sorts of ways that we've seen it done and been a part of it. But you also really want to be thinking about what does success look like for your organization if you're doing a training and what does the follow-up from a training look like? I think sometimes what people miss is they think about what they're doing in the training and don't think about what happens after the training. But that follow-up and that engagement and that community building can be incredibly powerful. The thing that I will implore groups and organizations or folks to think about is as you are building leadership programs, as you are building training programs to support your folks, that it feeds into, is connected, and is not sort of siloed on its own away from everything else you're doing. It should really tie into your short-term goals, your long-term goals, your strategic plan in thinking about how are you increasing your impact and your efficacy through your staff, through your supporters, to the candidates you're supporting or the organizers you're supporting. And it should all really play and connect to one another really strongly because that's when you're going to get the most bang for your buck. That's when you're going to be able to show the proven results. That's when you're going to get the funding to continue the program year after year and keep that consistency is when you're doing that, when all of those pieces feed together. Training is a tool for your organization. It's got to fit your goals, your mission, and your budget. And there are lots of different ways to do it. Well, thanks for tuning into today's episode. If you have any questions or comments on movement building through training, please check out our website at thecampaignworkshop.com. Our information can also be found in the show description notes. And be sure to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for next week's episode. 
Until next time, this is Martin Diego Garcia. And Joe Fold breaking down how to win a campaign. How to win a campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Phoebe Retta, Samantha Sondek, and Lauren Odom. Music by Daniel Pinto. Audio editing by Christopher Lang. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.